Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and today I'm talking to Bob Machado. Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Bob, you've been in the business for a extended period of time, and I'm excited to connect. I want to hear a little bit about your background. You're working with HRG right now, but I think of you as kind of an OG in the industry long before there is was- Is that old guy? Is that what- <laughs> Not quite. It's, it's actually, it's a, it's a positive okay. reference. Uh, original gangster is actually what it stands for, but okay. it just kind of means somebody that has some stature and standing. You've been doing this for a while. The epoch in the time that I came into the industry, you had already been doing this for years and years and years at the time that I came in. What year did you get your start in property management? That would be well, 1979. So I got in the when I got in the real estate business, and and in '82 formed a company to do it. But I had been managing some properties as a as a sales agent. What happened was I would, I I was 25 and had just gotten married and was looking, you know. But I hadn't figured out how I wanted to apply, you know, what I had learned in college. So, I uh, my dad had been in the real estate business, so I just kind of jumped into that in Sacramento, California, and started selling. And a gentleman came in from the Bay Area and said he would buy eight homes, but he needed he needed someone to find tenants. So could I help him with that? So he goes, I'll close them if you know I can solve that part of the problem. And so I said, well, I'll do it. So I, and I like the idea of a recurring income that just like appealed to me being 25 and trying to sell real estate. And I, I can't remember at the time I owned a home, but you know, it was a little home with my wife. And, uh, and so, you know, I took on the eight properties and we did lease options on all of them. No one ever, none of them ever came to fruition on that count, but I had a client with eight houses and I was in this little tiny office with maybe three agents. And I was, I was like the busiest one in the office office all of a sudden, just, you know, a newbie. And the, and the lady next to me uh, was new also. And, and she started managing some properties too. And I picked Then I just started picking, I picked up some buildings in, in the downtown area, some like six unit buildings and an eight unit building. And, but I didn't really, I can't say that I knew what I was doing. I was just kind of doing it, but I hadn't gone in. There was no place to go to figure out, you know, what's, how's this supposed to be done? So I went to a local office that had a large sales group. And in the back alley, they had a property management door. That's so cliche, in the back alley. <laughs> it was literally an alley. And the door that we went in was the back, in the, we entered through the alley and the sales guys entered through the front door, you know, on the street. That tells you everything you need to know, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I, and I sat down with the broker and we talked about, you know, I told him that I was, I had some properties under management, you know, it's like six buildings and eight houses. And, and could he tell, could he give me some pointers? And he said, well, I can give you some pointers, but I could also just offer you a job. <laughs> so I thought, I thought about that for a moment and thought it sounded like a good idea at the time. I said, can I bring in my property, the properties I have and, and make them work in the system? And he said, yes. So uh, talked to my wife about it and we decided that was like a good move to learn the business kind of thing. So, so I worked for him. So all of a sudden I was managing like 200 properties and you know, we didn't, there was no computers or anything. Everything was on paper. In 1979, interest rates were like 17%. And no one was doing any deals with banks. They were doing, it was all owner financing. And you know, I just gotten in the business. Like that's part of, you know, that also pushed me into property management that it's something I could, you know, bring, earn money doing instead of, you know, running around with, very few deals happening and and here I was brand new. So 
So I went that. So I got into it and then moved over to this to Kiernan management in Sacramento and coming in, you know, entered in through the back alley every day, managed property. You'd go out in the afternoon or go out, you know, to, for a run to go see some vacancies and come back and there'd be 30 messages on paper for you. And it was transcribed just from a transcribed from somebody that took the phone call. Right. You know, this thing, that thing Then I would have to call. And I was on my own. I had to call. I had accounting backup. That was it. So I had to do everything else. So I did that for a year. And then the owner called me in for a, like an annual review. And he asked me what my, what were my goals. And I, and I don't, I was just, I guess I was just stupid and young. And I just said, you know, I kind of, I want to sit in your chair. <laughs> um, that didn't, he just kind of looked at me like, you know, okay. I mean, that he just, you know, the reaction was not, you know, he wasn't plussed with that, with that response. Um, and, and then, uh, but it, that I wasn't paid. I was, the way they paid was a flat number every month. I was just getting a paycheck and it wasn't a lot. I won't even share how much cause it's too embarrassing, but the, uh, um, it was, and then they would bring me, you know, 10 files and say, okay, we have 10 new accounts, you know, here they are. And it was like, but there was nothing, that was just more work and there was no more money. So that was a problem for me. So, and I ended up using that as a motivation, motivation later that when I had my own company, everybody, the, the managers were being, would be paid, you know, based on production, uh, you know, based on the work. If the management fee comes in, they're going to get a cut of it. Yeah, portfolio the, yeah, model. Por yeah. Bigger, yeah. smaller, you get right. your cut. So that that was like in the back of my head. But in the meantime, at this place, you know, it wasn't going to happen. So I went and talked to another broker in town, in 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 the neighborhood, about you know what were my options with her in terms of selling and man, and actually in, in terms of selling. And she told me, oh, you. You know, you're easily going to make, I think it was like 3000 a month, you know, if you go into sales, you'll, that'll be a no brainer. Well, that was going to be a big raise. So, so I said, well, that's, I said, so I, you, I'll get a check for 3000 a month. And she goes, yeah, no problem. So then that's what I heard. So then when I took, I actually terminated my job and I didn't take the properties that I brought in at that moment. Uh, I, and I sat down the first week with in the sales and she was explaining how everything worked. And then she said, you know, when when you get your check every, uh, you know, at the end of the month, there'll be a promissory note with it because you have to, that'll be a, a draw against the commissions that you're going to earn. And I said, what? So th like that was like the one of the lowest moments of my life <laughs> hearing that I just quit my you job did, when I had a paycheck. And then now yourself. I was like borrowing money to continue didn't make any sense. So I went home and tried to figure out what my next move was. So I ended up calling all the clients that I had brought over to the to that office and said, I have moved to another place and uh, would you be willing to come with me? And they were like, without question, they said, there's that's, and they were just, you know, I was, I did the job for them. I knew how to do property management at that point. And so they were all, yeah, we'll come immediately. Just tell us what to do. So then I went back to the broker and I said, would you mind if I manage some properties out of this place? Because I don't really want to borrow money from you. You know, like this will help me, I think, get through the day. And she said, you know, no problem. She goes, no cut. You know, just just do that and then do your sales and fine. So I brought over six buildings and eight houses and, and you know, I was keeping 100% of it. Um, and then and there was like four people in the office and the the, the broker's daughter was the receptionist and so all of a sudden like from one day to the next i have i brought all those properties in i was getting every single phone call in that office from tenants you know and i, and I was out searching for new management company new management uh properties to manage so i and i had a, i was just on a mission and my wife was at home with 
you know, our son who had just been born and, you know, she was taking maintenance calls and, and doing, helping me with accounting and stuff. So, um, so that was quite a ride there. I mean, I, I don't know if I've described it well enough to <laughs> the terror that was in my brain and then surviving that, figuring out, against the wall. Figuring, out a, figuring out a way out of it. And then I was managing property and fine. And then eventually took, found a, uh, I was also volunteering at the YMCA and ran into a guy that was doing management. He was a little bit ahead of me in terms of units. And he had a client that was really difficult. So who had a lot of units. And so he said he would, he, he just was done with this client, but if I was interested, I could have them. And th- th- we're talking about buildings that were 25 units and 30 units. And there was like a hundred units in this deal. So, and that wasn't very months, very few months after I had made that move. And so I said, I would, <laughs> I would take anything at that point. So I said, sure, bring them on. So, and that client became a good friend, you know, while I had him and, um, so, you know, I just had a lot going on. So, and then eventually a few months after, maybe within a year after that, that same gentleman with the, with the business and I had lunch and, uh, we were both volunteering at the YMCA. So we knew each other and he, who, who, who would have thought back in, you know, 1981 or so that, um, you know, two putt guys managing single family dwelling managers would be at the YMCA. I mean, just like, wasn't a thing. But uh, he he uh, he and I had lunch and we decided to, we agreed to become partners and we, so we, we at that point I had grown to the, his size because he had given up a hundred units and then I had other units and then he had his units, so we were we just combined forces and and were partners for fourteen years. Um, and what was the name of that company? Uh, that company his company was Century Twenty One. We formed a company the company called Sacramento Delta Property Management but that still exists um, and so. And we were partners for 14 years, but, um, and then I got during this whole, so we grew and we grew to about 1600 units, uh, over that 14 years. So that was a successful, uh, venture again, you know, we went through the thing where we had the copiers were, you know, were ink based, you know, like you had to pour the ink in, <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of stuff. When we got a cop, buying a copier was like a big deal. It was a big day because now we didn't have to do the, uh, uh, I can't even think of the stuff you had to do. Facsimile or- yeah. Well, it wasn't, there was no facts. Um, it was, it was just, you know, we had a copier, <laughs> um, and, and a phone system with an answering machine that, you know, was right on the table. High tech. Um, yeah, it was high tech, but that's all you had. I mean, that's, everything was, you know, just that way, you know, every, all ads were in newspapers and all that. So there was no internet at that, you know, back in the, back then that was be, that was useful. One question that comes to mind is aside from the technology difference, which I'm sure we could go on about that, the regulatory environment, managing when you started versus now. I'm just curious, what have you seen in terms of the, how that impacts the practical day-to-day management activity? Well, there was a department of real estate, so they were keeping an eye on things to a degree, but we didn't, back then, it's like you weren't paying attention. There was no rent control, any of that kind of stuff. So it was just like, you could do whatever you wanted. You were regulated by the fact that, you know, there were, you were, there might be 5% vacancy. So you couldn't just ask whatever you wanted and you didn't want people to move. So because of the supply was there, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing to have, uh, you know, have that part of it going on. There was no lead-based paint. All that stuff is, you know, come, has come later. The, the thing with the department of, of, uh, real estate was, you know, they, they would keep an eye on things and you were subject to audit. But we, like when we first started, I remember we, we took them, we had a lot, you know, money is coming into the trust accounts that we had trust accounts and we knew about that, but we didn't really know the part. I mean, we, at that, when we were so young and new in the business, we didn't, 
we didn't know about that you couldn't earn interest in California on the trust account. But so we had taken money and put it into savings accounts from the, the like from the deposits and stuck it in savings and and had earned some interest. And we probably did that for six months. And then we found out through some you know communication from the Department of Real Estate, not directly to us, but like a newsletter that you can't earn interest on the trust account unless you give it to the client and you, you, they agree to it. So we very quickly put that money back in the trust account. So there were some things that happened, you know, weren't quite right, but, you know, we, but, you know, then you were subject, I don't remember being audited in that time, in the, in those days, you know, there just weren't audits. They just, it wasn't like, I'm, there were audits that were going on. We weren't audited, but um, I think as time go, went on and property management became a bigger, you know, thing where more people were doing it, that, you know, audits became came a thing and I've been audited probably five or six or seven times through my career and you know survived them all but um, it's it was a lot looser then I mean it just wasn't a, you know you're you were just trying to get new business and and doing that battle then uh, getting people to know who you were you know going to realtor meetings that kind of thing I always thought that was the best avenue and I think it's still if it's not the best, it's close. Pounding the pavement. Hanging out. Well, hanging out with realtors, you know, going to their meetings, being being a voice of property management. So because they don't, most of them don't want to do it, but they're at the, they're right there with the transaction when the thing is purchased. So they know, you know, that they, if they can refer you and then you pay them a referral fee, then, you know, that's, a, that's a more efficient way to market than to try to go to individual owners with postcards and and all of that. So when it, when the transaction happened, so that's kind of what we did over the years and just kept growing. To about 1,600 units. Can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with NARPM along the way? Obviously, when you started, NARPM didn't exist. What did your involvement look like, obviously, kind of culminating in you holding office? Uh, well, it was all very quick. Um, I In 1992, um, I, a letter came, I think it was probably in January or something. It, it came from two gentlemen, It was and it was a NARPM letterhead thing that said, we're, we're uh, wanting to meet with property managers to tell them about a new trade association. And it, and it had been in existence since 88, so it was, you know, but it you know started with 12 people, so... Um, so it was very small. So when these guys, when I got that letter in my office, I was, we were, you know, we had grown. And so we were, you know, over a thousand units and, and, and we're having the, the issues of, you know, how do you organize, you know, you know, all the things, you know, how do we do this? You know, what's the best way and all of that. Talk to some job coaches, but I, I also thought that the staff, you know, could use the property managers in particular could use education, but there just wasn't much out there. There was some a group associated with the realtor community, but it was not very doing anything really. So I, when I got that letter, I thought, well, that's something it, they, a, a national association of property managers. So I went to the meeting. There were about 12 of us at the meeting and, uh, and Rocky Maxwell, who's now deceased and a former president of NARPM, um, and Steve Yuri, also a past president, they came and they gave a, you know, they were funny and gave a, you know, talked the language about all the struggles that property managers go through. And so uh, it made sense to me what they were doing. They had designations and kind of the framework of, of the current association. And uh, so I, he, they asked for a volunteer to help organize a larger meeting with the community of property managers in Sacramento. So I volunteered to do that. Then I went out and reached out to the property managers and locally and said, hey, let's, this is happening. 
you guys, you know, let's get together. I knew some of them and already and others passed the word. And we had, we met at a restaurant. It was a, you know, had a long table. It was a, not a huge space, but there were like 45 people attended the next meeting and Rocky came back from San Jose and uh, gave a talk and, and uh, they nominated me the president of, of the chapter. And we formed, we basically formed a chapter like overnight with, it was the, like the, it was a revival meeting sort of kind of thing. It was kind of nutty uh, when you think back uh, how cr everybody was like pretty ex jazzed about it in Sacramento. So then that, so that meeting was in March of 92. And then, and as soon as the chapter was formed then and Rocky saw that meeting and what happened, yeah, he contacted me and said, you know, would you serve on the national board? So I said, well, when does that happen? He goes, well, the meetings in September in San Francisco. So we want to put you on the board. So I said, oh, okay. So I think there were 12 on the board or something like that. 12 seems to be a recurring number in this thing. But anyway, so um, I went to that meeting, to the convention. It was a convention. And there were, I don't know, maybe 100 people there or something like that. And the mem at the meeting, I'm so I'm on the I get put on the board. And the, at the first board meeting, the the membership, the national membership chair, who's supposed to go out and meet property managers, you know, and just travel, like kind of like what the national president does today. But the back then there weren't enough members, so they had to go on. The the job of the membership chair was to go out and just seek out new members. So, but and that person said they couldn't do it at the meeting. So they looked at me and said, "Okay, would you do it?" So I said, "Okay, I'll do it." So I was gonna, I'll do anything. So, um, so I became the national membership chair in, in September of '92, and then all of a sudden I was traveling. I went, uh, I traveled all over the U.S. kind of doing that. Rocky took me on a trip down uh, Central California. We stopped at different chapters, and he kind of taught me how to do the talk, uh, you know, explain, explain what the deal was. Uh, do you know Melissa Prandy? Mm -hmm. She, she was, you know, I met her. I, I recruited her, Melissa Prandy. I don't want to take, I don't know if that's good or bad, but any, I think it's good. Um, I recruited uh, Melissa and, uh, and, and Chris Hermansky up in Portland. I mean, and I was made an honorary uh, Washingtonian by the, uh, the uh, Seattle chapter because they had a group up there that had, designations and 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 I can't remember the late name of the lady that was up there she's very nice I went up there for the meet for the you know introductory meeting and like they were like to me as impressive as we were except they were just their little group and the and the, their president said I'm joining and I'm out on the local deal I'm gonna go with NARPA so they all did so then so that that was cool so we that was a big coup so we grew there and then uh then wherever there was a meeting, I would always, like if we were meeting in, we went to D.C. once and I went out into Fredericksburg and different, you know, met with different groups and everybody just kept joining. You know, it wasn't, and it wasn't me. It was just the you know, information was good. So um, so I ended up meeting a lot of people and, and was on the board then from 92 to, and became president in 96. So it didn't, you know, it was just like, I would just had to get in line. I had to, you know, my slot, <laughs> I had to wait wait out uh rotate yeah wait out a few people and and then uh became the president so in uh in san antonio in 1996 how many people do you think you personally recruited in dinner you know i don't know maybe two or three hundred or something like that or 400 i mean who knows but the thing is is like somebody like melissa you know she she joined and then she just you know she she this activated her because she didn't have anything in san rafael so 
she just and she was you know just a you know natural salesperson type and just went after it and so she she ended up becoming membership chair I think she was definitely on the board and president and all that so you know other people just sort of you know would jump in and do it and it's not my thing to just keep doing stuff the same stuff over and over again it was this wasn't you know what I wanted to do so I you know I was still running my business and had my kids and stuff at home and and so but um, but being national president was great you know it was just a good opportunity uh, for growth for me just in terms of speaking and and uh, helping to lead the help lead the organization be a part of it there were some really cool people on it you know Dave and Kit uh, Dave Holt and Kit Guerin you know those guys were right before me so I you know learned from them and Mark Creditor right after uh, some of those guys you have to get out of their way or they'll run you over but uh, they were all good we've had we've had you know good friendship long term it was all good how is the organization different now than at that window of time well there, there was a lot there's a lot of emotion involved with people that they first find out about NARPM they really like it and I think the whole but everybody was new back then so it was like there wasn't like the old guard like kind of like looking over your shoulder it was everybody was like in the same place and so that's one thing that's different as I got older I've been in this for a long time um, at some point it became for me and so I, I'll just speak about myself you know it just it, it became something where you know the younger people are like stepping in and all the technology changes are going so fast you know and including the the vendors became you know just you know just the amount of things available to the property management community expanded so there's just more more stuff and at some point it was like I don't really want to keep up with all this stuff I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that into it anymore um, you know and I love NARP and and probably the best thing I ever did in my career was like be a part of that that beginning, and and to help you know do my part. Um, mm. So it was it was it was just it was great to what I did. But you can't keep this is maybe helpful to other people. At some point, you know, when it, for me it was like when I hit my sixties, it was like I can't keep this pace up of you know being chasing the business and making it better and better and better. There's just more. It was just you know the changes that needed to come and all that. So I was just like, I was just ready. I didn't need the money, you know, per se. I, you know, I could, if I, you know, it just, I had accumulated rental property, uh, particularly in that down, the downturn in 08. And I had accumulated cash and, 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 and just bought a lot of properties for on the cheap. And then, uh, you know, that sort of made, made it so, you know, the job wasn't as, you know, life and death anymore. Mm. Um, you know, that could sustain. So, so at the end of that 14 year run. So the end of the 14 year run was kind of when I got out of the presidency of NARPM and I came back and now I was just back in my office. And then my partner and I sort of decided that this wasn't working anymore for you. Could, I mean, there was writing on the wall when you have a partnership, like you can, if you look into the future, what it's going to look like down the road. And there's, there's, you know, there's issues that have to be resolved, like who's going to run the company and how's it going to, you know, how are you going to split the money up if one person wants to leave? And, and particularly, you know, the kids are coming up, your, your own kids are coming up, what's going to happen, you know? when they want to work there and all that kind of stuff. So we just decided this was not going to work. So what we did was we just, it was very business, you know, not, wasn't like trying to, you know, kill each other or anything or take somebody out. It was more like we kind of made an, made an offer to each other, you know, I'll buy you out, you buy me out. And both said, no, nah, that's not going to work. So we ended up kind of 
take kind of like you would you would pick uh, players on a on the playground when you're going to form new teams, no two teams to play each other. And do it. so we you know all the players are out there, the employees, and we said, okay, you pick him, you pick that one. So we actually formed two companies out of what we had, and then we put the units with them, and then we said, okay. Which one do you want, A or B? And we wrote it on a piece of paper, and we both picked, you know, A. And so then we said, okay, well, what will it take to take B? And so how about $5,000? And we kept upping that number until somebody went over to B. So that's how we ended up splitting it. And we kind of kept out of, kept attorneys and all that, you know, all the ugly expenses out of it and just did it ourselves. We used an attorney to kind of break it up and start a new, start the new company, but only just the transactional part uh, of the attorney services. So, so then we split. So now we both went back to 800 units and then he went down the street. I stayed where we were because that's, we also had said who's staying in the office, who has to leave. That was part of the deal, you know, so that's what, how we, when we split, it was kind of a cool way to split it when I think about it. Um, anyway, so we did that and then we both, you know, started going at it, going at it again, you know, start from scratch and worked our way back. And, uh, I just happened to have a client, one of a, somebody, one interesting thing that happened was a, a client from Japan owned about five subdivisions of homes he, that he had bought brand new in the Sacramento area and he'd had them for years, but he was looking for a new property manager. And I took that on, it was 400 units at one time, you know, just, it was just like all of a sudden this boost of units that I had. And just having that many units, when you gear up for it with staff and everything, even if they go away, you know, you can, it's like you're already there, so you just keep going. And so they came and went over the course of like three years because the guy got in trouble for just the way he had handled property in the past. He had had some mold lawsuits and mold was a big thing in Sacramento mm -hmm. and they didn't want to do repairs that much. And so he got into a kind of a into some trouble and then he ended up saying you know what i'm gonna sell everything so uh so he did but anyway that what that did what it did for us was it just boosted up our capabilities in terms of you know being able to handle more properties and, and computers were in play then too so uh you know you're able to handle things better than when it was on paper so anyway so we kept growing and and i ended up adding a couple of offices and had three offices in sacramento the way sacramento split up it just made sense to do that so we had a reception you know three receptionists and all that so and then prop a couple of property managers in the satellite offices but we did all the accounting centrally what did you get back up to on the when you were back on the the upswing after splitting the company but, in that? uh well up to 2500 okay so i just like went right past where i where the two of us had been and went up and i and so i took on the name one one thing i had to do was get a new name that was i lost the name in the in the deal so, which was fine with me. I just picked a new name, which was Home Point, and my ex-partner kept the Sacramento Delta, which is which also grew up. I mean, we, this was like a heyday in Sacramento for people from the Bay Area coming and buying homes to rent, or they came to Sacramento thinking they were going to commute back to San Francisco for their job, but they would get tired of it, and then they would, and then they would rent and go back and you know move rent an apartment in San Francisco. It was, you know, prices were going crazier in San Francisco than Sacramento and we were relatively inexpensive. So there were just a lot of rentals. So there's plenty of business for everybody. So then in what year did you end up selling the business? In 2017. And what led to that? Were you just ready to move on? Yeah, I was just, you know, like I said, kind of, it was, it was just time. You know, I was 62 and was uh, just ready to, move on from the day-to-day -day grind and, you know, 
was just all the, you know, the regulatory thing was getting tougher and tougher. Everything's getting, you know, harder, it seemed like. And it was, uh, property management's never, it's not a, a, you know, it's not easy. It's not an easy business. I, I, I don't know how hard other businesses are. There was always plenty of business, but, you know, it's like, it's, you know, the lawsuits and, and employee issues You're with, uh, California is like kind of famous for the employees having the upper hand if, if something is not, they don't like something. So there was a few of those, but I, I wouldn't say any one thing. It was just like, just didn't want to do it anymore every day. Just ready to close the chapter. Yeah. And you made the decision to sell before meeting a buyer, correct? Correct. I mean, I did a decision to look and see what was out there. Let's check it out. Uh, I was exposed to it through, you know, Mark Creditor sold his business uh, to Property Frameworks. And that was like a couple of years before I ended up doing it. So that was like just a little eye-opening. Hey, there's, there is a pathway out of here. And so anyway, so he did that. So I, so I knew that that was that. So I talked to Property Frameworks. That was, they had some, you know, wanted earnouts, and it was a longer payout, and the whole thing was like I felt like I was gonna, you know, sign the deal, and then I wasn't gonna get the money I was, you know, that I thought was in my head. So Home River was a cash buyer, and it was, you know, I was gonna have all the, you know, I was gonna have the money that I thought it was worth, and it was fine. And HRG was fairly new at that point, correct? A year, yeah, like a year old. So you're one of the first larger acquisitions that was made into the portfolio. Right. Yeah. I think California was like a, we, they weren't in California and that was like, you know, it's a big state. So population wise. So it was like, that was like a, a good move for them, I think. And it was, a, and you know, I've been national president and had some clout, uh, clout there. So, you know, and, and I got along with uh, John Hirschfeld and, uh, and the team there. So uh, he came out and, to Sacramento and toured everything with Andy, I think at that time. And before we did the deal and then uh, and they still wanted to do it after seeing what I had going on. So that was good. <laughs> and then you ended up staying on. Yeah, I, I agreed to stay for two years. That was the deal. And my daughter was in the business too. So she agreed also to stay on. So, and my daughter still is working full time in the company. So that part was fine. I didn't mind, you know, I, I didn't need to get out instantly. So I just stayed and, and we had 50 employees. And so everybody stayed and it was, it was, uh, and, we, and the other thing we had and the other thing I did after when we split the company up back in, well, it would have been 1997, through my involvement in NARPM, had was exposed to the maintenance side of the business, how you could like have a maintenance division. So I did that. And so that was a big, also a big move and actually kind of doubled the size of my business because, you know, in terms of revenue, we had 10 trucks maintenance guys, techs, we were doing, in, you know, interior inspections and, and then, and, you know, there was lots of work going on. So that was something that we had added in that, that also modeled in with what HRG was doing. So that worked out when I, when, it, when the time came, you know, they were interested, the fact that we had a successful maintenance company alongside, that was a part of the management company. So it all, they took everything and it all went because the maintenance company could, was, was only supported by the management company. Oh, you weren't doing any third party? Not really. I mean, did a, I did a few things, but not of significance. So then you stick around for a while locally and eventually you join HRG as a managing the acquisition process, correct? What I stayed for two years doing my, working in, the, in my, in, you know, my market. And then Alex, my daughter took over that. And then I was kind of walking out the door and was asked to, would I be interested in 
working, handling some acquisitions. And, and my job basically is to talk to uh, say anybody that's, you know, that's interested in selling and, and walking them through what it looks like in terms of, uh, you know, what, what's going to be asked of you, how much we pay, how we pay, it, all of the, you know, how you pay is, is, is as important as how much. Mm, because because it can be, yeah, it can be a mess where, you know, a long payout or short, you know, what's the vesting period, all that kind of stuff. So I just cover all of that for anybody that wants to listen. And then if they do a deal, then that's good. They keep me around. <laughs> if they don't, that's fine. How many transitions have you been a part of? You know, probably 20 or 20 or you know, we've done 20 or 30. I was involved in almost every single one up until a few months ago. We now have somebody else that's out, you know, chasing down deals besides me, which is fine. Um, and I respond to the ones that come through the website and come kind of organically just from uh, emails and, 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 the, and the website. So we're actually using artificial intelligence now or, or moving in that direction to do valuations. So and we have an analyst that works in the company that, that does the analysis, but we came to the, when, back when I was, I bought probably three or four companies or maybe four or five companies over the course of my career, just when I was, when I was home point. And I always valued them based on a multiple of the management fees. We used to pay three times if we could steal it. Um, so if it was making a hundred dollars a month, you know, pay $300 for that account. That was like, but then people got wise to that pretty quick. And so then it became like 10 or or 10 or 12 and I could always pay a little more because I was making money on the maintenance so that was you know so I got in on several deals doing that and when I got into home river acquisitions it was it just the way they looked at things was more off of a P&L and they wanted to know you know the EBITDA and and you know how the business was performing and and I I pushed back a little bit and said you know what do we why do we even care about any of that because we're buying a piece of paper that says we have a contract that's going to bring in so much per month the back end is going to be ours we're going to it's the expense side is going to be what Home River does with it not what the company was doing I don't think I how much in, influence I had but at some point the company decided that that was the method that could be used. And so that's what we actually do today. It's, it's a multiple of management fees. Mm -hmm. So it's not hard to figure out a, and that's again, because whatever, whatever's going on in, in their company is, is not relevant. And only the management agreement is relevant because that's going to tell you what your man, how you calculate management fees. You know, the rent average rent is what it is. And then what other fees can you charge? But you can always adjust things. But the only thing that's really sticky is the management fee. If you go after a client and say, Your man, the management, we're going to raise that, that raises eyebrows. But if you change something like tell them, you know, we're going to keep late, we're going to split late fees or keep, you know, something less intrusive than the management, the obvious at the management fee, then the owners will push back is the feeling. I And I think that's correct. So if... When we look at a company, you know, we're looking at management fees and then we figure out what the multiple is. Then we put in, and for that market, we will put in our back office costs and then that will tell us, you know, what the multiple ends up becoming. So it's not rocket science. It's, uh, it's a, there's a system to it and you can just plug in the, plug in the management fee and, and it'll spit it out. So you can actually go to our website today and fill out a, the, the, any owner can fill out a pretty simple form. We, we need to know the number of units and the type of units, you know, whether they're like one to four units, 
category or are they five plus or 20 plus, what the management fee is, what the average rent is, and then that will end up telling us, we'll end up with a valuation out of that. And so we're doing those. I mean, they, they're, and then we just do a mail out to tell people that it's available to do. So it's kind of like a Zillow thing where, you know, here's a number, we'll kick out a number pretty quick. How many units total in Nitrogy? We're roughly roughly 45,000 uh, if i had to project i'd say 50 by the end of the year okay that's some good solid trajectory right and that's a really interesting place to be at this point in your career yeah when you look back on your career what are you most proud of? Just that I did it the right way. I mean, I, in my head, I mean, I took care of, you know, I was fair to the employees. I employed a lot of property managers that were, that when I was a property manager, remember I was paid a flat rate and, and piles would come in and I still got that same number. And I think I served my clients better by having a, a system that we tracked them every single month, how much you brought in. This is what, and they would see it on a piece of, they would get a piece of paper at the end of the month with their paycheck saying, you brought in this much management fees, lease fees, late fees, and this is your, and then you apply the percentage and this is your check. So that they could see if I threw five accounts at them, they were gonna get, they were gonna get a bigger check next month. They were happy to take them. So the clients better serve because the property manager is working harder you know, for the business. I also paid them to bring in new accounts. So I didn't have business development managers at the time. Uh, we just had, I had 10 property managers and they were all, if they just all brought in one account, you know, that was 10 and they could, and they were making, they would get a bonus for bringing in a new account. So, um, so I made the managers very much a part of the, the profit picture, if you will, without seeing the P&L, they just did that. And then the, and then we just tried to pay our staff as, you know, as best we could, you know, market rate, keep them going and, and provide a stable employment. I, there's employees been with the company even, you know, six years past the sale, but I mean, 30 years with the company, that kind of thing, just because I'd been around so darn long. Uh, but some of them stuck. And, you know, we went through some that didn't, but, you know, some people don't fit the culture and don't, don't work. And so we... I had some good uh, senior leadership in the company that was, they were way better at handling people than me. Um, I had a really good general manager and Delano. I mean, she was very good and, and uh, took care of me and made sure that, uh, you know, the office ran smoothly. Uh, I always kept a close eye on the property managers because I just, I just felt like I, that was where I came from being a property manager. I know, I knew what the, what had to get done to keep the clients happy. So it was kind of like the mindset of, you know, what does a client want and, and, and what, what did, what does whatever we're doing feel like on their end? I felt like I could, I knew that. Uh, and, and one of the first things I did when I got in the business was buy rental property so that I would know what it felt like to get that call that you need a new roof. And so if you haven't been there, you don't, you know, otherwise you've just called with a routine, yeah, you need a new roof and we got you a bid. So kind of like what came out of that was always get, don't call the owner with a problem, just a problem, call them with a problem and a solution. So you call them up and say, don't call them up and say, you need a new roof. And then wait for them to respond to that. And so no, we've, you know, your roof, we've had your roof checked out. We've gotten you two bids. And, you know, here, these are roofers that we trust. You know, here's the deal. Let us know what you want to do. So we tried to anticipate what the conversation was going to go. And I, that, and I, you know, training, I would try to train on that, on that platform about how, how we're going to treat the clients and, and make sure that, that they're taken care of in a way that they appreciate, you know, not, what, not that we're so smart. 
we want to do it so that every everybody kind of gets it. What about the flip side, Bob? Are there any regrets in your careers that somebody earlier in their career could learn from? You know, I just I just don't think that way because um, you know you, you do the best you can. You know, not everything works out. We made plenty of you know employment you know cha- you know had to make you know employment mistakes or if you will, you, know, you hire the wrong person. But you know, you just try and I always felt like when I had to fire someone that I was doing them a favor because it wasn't going to work out with us and they needed to move on and learn from their mistakes. Because if you just kind of enable someone to, and they just stay and stay and they're just not doing it, that's not helping them or our business. So it sounds like there's not a lot of regrets. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, that's a, that's a I mean, I've had a good marriage. I have great kids. I have great grandkids. Um, wow. I, you know, I'm super lucky it's great um, to be able to say that. Yeah. If I, I I'm trying to think if I have any regrets buying cars, but um, <laughs> my wife has regrets about cars I bought. <laughs> you have regrets like... about cars you sold, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your journey, and really also what you contributed to. What I've come into and what I've benefited from has, in large part, been a function of what previous people were willing to invest in and see flourish, and I hope to contribute and give back as well. Thanks for coming on, Bob. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Until appreciate next time. it. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can check out other episodes along the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, appreciate to subscribe. Any comments, I'm always here to engage. If you're listening on an audio platform, would really appreciate a review. It's a great way to help other people find out about the show.